Exodus. Uh, We are continuing in our sermon series on the book of Exodus this morning. Well, um, in the Gospels, uh, there are many uh, moments in which Jesus has interactions with the Pharisees and religious leaders of his day. And all of these interactions uh, generally... They generally don't go well for the Pharisees as Jesus interacts with them. Uh, But one in particular that I want to highlight this morning is that Jesus is uh, traveling with his disciples and the Pharisees are talking about how his disciples don't wash their hands properly before eating. Um, Now, this is not necessarily that they're like, hey, you know, you guys are uncleanly and uh, you're not following proper protocols here. It was uh, religious ritual washings that they were not following. And they're like, Jesus, how can you be a teacher and allow your disciples to just like go against all the teachings uh, and traditions of the elders? Why are you not following these traditions of the elders? And Jesus responds to them and says this. He says, uh, listen to me, my people. Oh, nope, this is not what he says. I didn't add that one in. He says this, sorry. I was like, wait a second, that's not right. Uh, For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you. For what I have, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents, and so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. This is in Mark chapter 7. Now, some of your translations may say, what I would have given to you is Corbin. And this Corbin, this word in, uh, is like common vernacular at this time for something I've vowed to give to God. And so the idea of this was you could vow to future, in the future give your property or something to the Lord, to the temple. But you would retain possession of it until that time. So it's like pledging in your will, I'm going to will uh, all of my assets to City Hope when I die. You can do that, um, but <laughs> this is a different, different point here. Uh, you can talk to Adam after service. You know, uh, th- the reality is, right, you could pledge this for the future. I'm going to give this, and because I've pledged that, if my parents are in need when they become elderly, I can't help you because, look, I've already pledged this to the Lord. I've already pledged this to the Lord. And Jesus points out, this is a really fancy way for you to disregard God's law. God's law says to honor your father and mother, and you instead get to keep all of the possessions selfishly and never have to deal with the consequences because you've pledged to give this when you die. But you can't help your parents now, though they're in need. And he points out, That this is how you skillfully sidestep God's law. And this is just one example among many others. The selfishness of the human heart on display. Trying to figure out a way to skirt God's law while also fake honoring the Lord, right? 
Like, hey, the best way to skirt God's law is to pretend that I'm honoring the Lord, but not actually do what he tells me to do. Now, it might be easy for us to look at that and say, man, that's terrible. But Jesus follows this up by saying, then Jesus called the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It is not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. What Jesus is saying is, it's really easy to look at this, this example that I've pointed out of others, and be like, man, that's terrible. But he says, watch out. It's actually the thing that your heart does as well. It's actually the very thing that all of our hearts do. The selfishness of the human heart is on display here. And as we learned last week, the law of God is simply going to show us our sin. It's going to show us and give us opportunity to try and skirt around it because the heart is on display. And what we learned about last week, right, is that the law cannot save you. Because it exposes the selfishness of our heart, it cannot save you. So if you seek to live by it, you will die by it. Because we're always finding new ways to break it. But if we walk with the law, it leads us to show us our sin so that we can repent of it and trust in Jesus and then walk with the law into godliness being conformed to Jesus. Well, what does it look like then to be conformed to Jesus in this way? Well, that's kind of what we're going to walk through over the next few weeks and months. We're going to walk through what the law of God teaches us so that we can know what does it mean for us to walk into these things. So we're looking at the the overview of the law, which is the Ten Commandments. As God meets with his people in Exodus on Mount Sinai, he delivers to them the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments comes down to them in uh, two, what we call two tables of the Ten Commandments. There's sort of two areas in which the commandments cover. Uh, Commandments one through four cover our relationship with God. And commandments five through ten cover our relationship with our neighbors, with one another. And uh, this is the way in which uh, Jesus, right, summarizes the law. He says the most important commandment is to love God and love neighbor. What he's saying is all of the Ten Commandments are summed up in this. You love God and you love neighbor. Well, what does it mean to love God? Well, here, let me show you. What does it mean to love neighbor? Here, let me show you, right? There's these two tables of the law. Now, this was given to Israel as a covenant document like we talked about last week, right? I, will, I promise to do these things for you. You will promise to obey the law, which is why the law comes down as these two tablets, right? You can see on the screen here, right, that these two tablets, and we see Moses having these two tablets. Now, often when you see a picture of this displayed, it's like uh, verses 1 through 4 on one side, or like commandments 1 through 4 and 5 through 10, like, God ran out of room on a tablet. It's not really how it worked, right? All the commandments are on each tablet, and there's two because it's a covenant document. One is to remind the Lord what I've committed to you, and one is to remind Israel what they've committed to. 
And both were put together in the Ark of the Covenant in order to display and remind both Israel and the Lord, we have an agreement together. I will be your God, you will be my people. And this is my expectation upon you. And so it is for the covenant people to obey before God. And as the people of God will obey him in the land... God promises that the nations will actually pour in and see the glory of God, right? They are to live distinctively in this place in which God is going to put them so that the nations would come and see. We see this in Isaiah 51. Look up to the skies above and gaze down on the earth below. For the skies will disappear like smoke and the earth will wear out like a piece of clothing. The people of the earth will die like flies, but my salvation will last forever. My righteous rule will never end. Whoop. I read the second one first. How did that work? I don't know how that worked. Uh, Let me go back and read the first part. (laughs) Uh, Listen to me, my people. Hear me, Israel, for my law will be proclaimed and my justice will become a light to the nations. My mercy and justice are coming soon. My salvation is on the way. My strong arm will bring justice to all. The nations, all distant lands will look to me and wait in hope for my powerful arm, right? So what he's saying here, right, is my law will be proclaimed in Israel. And as Israel is transformed and lives in this distinctive way as my covenant people, the nations will see you will be a light. Israel was meant to be this place where you come and see what God is like. And so as the covenant people obeyed the Lord together, they would display God's glory to the world. Now, that's not to say that the Ten Commandments don't apply to the world, right? It's not to say that the law only applies to Israel. Certainly they do. Uh, Nor is that to say that we only care about how you treat one another in the covenant community, right? Like it doesn't matter what you do to non-Christian, unbelieving uh, friends and family. Uh, It's only matters how you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ here. No, certainly not. However, it is a covenant document, and so the emphasis is on what do the covenant people look like, and how then do you invite the world into that? Now, in the New Testament, as the New Testament people of God, this changes from a come and see what God is like in this specific land to a go and tell what God is like in all the world. Go and tell what God is like in all the world. Multiply these covenant communities, these churches around the globe so that there is always a place in which people can gather together to be transformed and then go out and tell others about what God is like. As the people of God obey God in the land, which for us is the whole of the earth, the nations will see the glory of God and come into the covenant community. So when we talk about what it means for us to follow the law together, for us to walk with the law as a people, we're talking about displaying the glory of God to the world, displaying who he's like, how he works, what his glory is like. And so when we were in Exodus uh, a while ago, we went through the first four commandments right before the pandemic started. Uh, And so to summarize those, right, the first four commandments is to love God. One is to have no other gods but the Lord. 
We are not to worship anything other than the Lord our God. Now, as we worship, number two is that we are to worship God in the way in which he has ordered us to worship, meaning we're not to create any sort of idols or images to display who he is. Now, this was radical for Israel at the time. They've just come out of Egypt, and in Egypt, every god has a statue or a uh, depiction of who they are, right? You can still see these today in Egypt. What the ancient uh, Egyptians worshipped, you can see in statues and images, which is why when Israel showed up anywhere, they were always, the nations surrounding them were always like, you guys don't have a god. Where's your god? We can't see him. Where's he at? They were to trust that the Lord would be with them, would show up for them, and that they were not to create some sort of image of what he was like. Because there is no image that can describe what God is like. He is far above. And, and the prophets point out the foolishness of creating a God as an idol, right? The prophets point out, like, you take a piece of wood, half of it you heat your house with, the other half you worship as a God. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, how is that to be, how is that to be a God for you? And so God commands no idols or images, He also commands not to take the Lord's name in vain, that we are to honor God's name. We are to worship in reverence and in fear of who he is, fear as in respect and honor for who he is. And finally, the fourth commandment, we are to rest in the Lord. Isn't our God so good? One of the commands that he gives us is like, you need to rest because you are not infinite. I am infinite. And we saw, right, as soon as the people of Israel get out of the Exodus, God starts this process of telling them to rest. He says, I'm going to provide for you bread six days a week, but on the Sabbath, don't go out and gather bread because I'm not going to provide for you. I'm going to provide double on the day before so that you don't have to work. You know what they do immediately? They go out to gather more. Kind of silly, right? But that's exactly what we do. God says, hey, I'm going to be good to you. Here, this is it. And you're like, no, I don't trust that. I got to make sure. Let me go make sure. Right? This is what we do all the time. So we looked at what it means to love God walking through these pieces. And now we're going to move into what does it mean to be in relationship with one another and with our community? What does it mean to love neighbor? So today, we're going to be focused in on commandment number five, which shows up in Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother, then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now, if you were here over the summer in the book of Ephesians, we talked a little bit about this passage uh, when we were looking at Paul's command to uh, fathers to not uh, be overbearing on your children. Um, And so we looked a little bit about this, right, because it connects to honor your father and mother. So we talked a little bit about that, but I want to look at a little bit broader of what this text is trying to tell us. And so you may be here this morning and thinking, all right, honor your father and mother. So I'm not a small child, so it doesn't apply to me, and I don't have kids maybe, so it doesn't apply to me. Well, that is not true. (laughs) Uh, All of Scripture applies to everyone, right? Now, it might apply in slightly different ways, but um, 
I've said this before as we walked through the law before, but um, the Westminster Larger Catechism, one of the uh, sort of uh, faith statements for us as a church, has a large section unpacking uh, the law of God. And it's the most helpful thing I think the Westminster Divines wrote. Um, It's one of my favorite uh, sections of the catechism. But what it does is it unpacks, it says, for each command, whatever is commanded, there is... Uh, like if, if the command is a prohibition, like do not murder, which we're going to look at next week, there's also a positive command that comes along with it. Like you need to actually defend and promote life. So there is both a negative aspect to the law, don't do this, and a positive aspect to the law. There are duties and prohibitions. There are duties and sins, right? Related to each one of the commandments. And so... Uh, that is true for this one as well. Now, when the Westminster Divines unpack what it means to honor father and mother, they actually make it far broader and say, this command actually applies to anyone who exercises authority and to anyone under authority. Any sort of relationships that have a power differential, whether that's employee, employer, or father and mother, or father and mother and children, or uh, teacher and student, any sort of relationship that has a power differential uh, and one of authority, this commandment actually applies to it as a broader principle as to how the people of God are to live. So there are duties and sins for those who are in authority. And there are duties and sins for those who are under authority. And it goes on to talk about duties and sins for those who are equals. How do we relate to one another as equals? This is so incredibly helpful. If you've ever thought, reading through the Ten Commandments, like, yeah, doing pretty good. Read the Westminster Larger Catechism, and you will repent a lot. It is very exhaustive. It showcases lots of places in which we are actually not doing all that good. Uh, It really expands upon and looks at what does this actually mean and play out in life. And so that's what we're going to try to do uh, this morning is to unpack some of these things. Now, what I want to do is actually start with the promise that is given in this command. Honor your father and mother, then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. See, the context of this command is being rooted in the land that you are given, that that Israel has been given. So the first thing we need to know about honoring father and mother is being rooted in the land. Now, what does that mean? And what does that mean for us, right? Because Israel is rooted in a physical place, right? At this time, they're getting the commandments. They're not yet in the promised land, but they are on their way to the promised land, and they are going to be living in this place that God has promised them. And as they live in the land, right, uh, we see this kind of throughout. When they disobey, what happens? They get sent out of the land. When they obey, they get to stay in the land, right? Things are tied to the land. But what does that mean for us? Well, Jesus, in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. See, the the thrust of the prophets into the New Testament is that the people of God are promised not the land of Israel, but the whole earth. If you read the prophets, 
The way in which they describe God saving Israel and bringing in the nations, they describe something that cannot fit in this small area of land called Israel. Can't fit there. They're describing the whole of the earth. If you read Revelation, the same is true. And if you read the Beatitudes, which is all about what it means to be a a believer, what are the characteristics of a believer, we shall inherit the earth. Now, as we talk about inheriting the earth, we need to be very careful. This does not mean a sort of colonialism or manifest destiny type behavior where you say, I get to inherit the earth, so this is mine, I'm taking it, because God said I could. No, this is the Lord's, meaning you don't own anything. What this means is you will inherit the earth. Not you will dominate and control and go take the earth. Not that you will conquer the earth. You will inherit the earth, meaning it's not yours. You don't own anything. The deed to your house is probably owned by the bank anyway, but you don't own that, even if you've paid it off, you don't own that. The Lord owns everything. The point of this is to say that the Lord owns everything. And so this is not a go and take over type of thing, but a go and dwell among the peoples of the world. You see, if the land is the whole of the earth, then you as a Christian can be rooted anywhere. You can be rooted anywhere among the peoples of the world. This means that we can have, we ought to have humility, not a sort of colonial attitude that we get to conquer and take over. Humility ought to mark the Christian if we are to be rooted in the whole earth, meaning we can actually lay down roots anywhere. This also means that we ought to care about the land that we exist in. You see, the reality is that uh, there are certain theological traditions that have downplayed the necessity of the earth, right? Like in the end, it's all going to burn up anyway and we go to heaven. So we don't really care that much. That's a really bad reading of scripture and uh, doesn't take into account the full context of how God has always worked. See, even in the giving of the law, God is saying the place in which you dwell is actually really important. You should care for the place in which you dwell. So that means we should care about creation, right? We should care about taking care of the planet. We should probably do things like garden. I'm really terrible at gardening and I don't like it, which is probably why I need to do it more because it teaches me humility. It teaches me that I am a finite creature and no matter how hard I work at something, it's not going to grow unless the Lord says it's going to grow, right? The land, the way in which the land functioned for Israel was not just, hey, we have this space and it's ours and look at that, that's cool. No, it was to teach them, you were made from the dust of the earth, you'll go back to the dust of the earth, have some humility and learn how to care for what God has given you. Right, The very first commandment that God makes to humans is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and then to have dominion over it. Now, dominion in this context is not like a dominating rule, but a cultivating care. You are to cultivate and to care for. You are to create culture, art, 
music, beauty, the things that we so quickly we, we, we so quickly run away from and go into a, a sort of utilitarian idea. And sometimes we justify that by saying, well, God cares about these things. Like God cares about our morality. God cares about these things. Even in the midst of the law, in declaring what is moral, God says, the land is yours and that's good. God's telling them, by promising, by the context of this command being the promise of the land, you ought to care for it. You ought to cultivate it. You are to care for these things. Now, some of you may be thinking, what does this have to do with honoring father and mother? This doesn't make any sense. Well, hopefully, we'll land the plane here in a moment. Hopefully, what was working in my brain will work out here. Among all of us, we'll see. Authority, like the land, is a gift to be stewarded, not a reward that is earned through conquest. You see, what we're to learn from this idea of being rooted in the land is that actually to possess authority is also a gift like the land is a gift. It is to be stewarded well. Not something that you've earned as a reward for your hard labor. Not something that you have earned through conquest so that you can domineer over others. It is a gift from the Lord to be stewarded. Cultivating the land, being rooted in a place, being tied to a people, should all, cre- all should create the humility required to be in authority or to be under authority. This is why it's actually crucial that wherever you are, you be rooted. Muncie often is a very transient place. A lot of people in and out. Sometimes people come here and have this mindset of like, yeah, I'm leaving real soon, so I don't care that much. So I'm never going to leave where I'm living. You know, students do this a lot, like stay on campus, never leave, never get involved, never plug in. The reality is you're here because God's called you to be here. You can actually be rooted here. And as a Christian... You can be rooted anywhere where there's a covenant worshiping community. I can plug in and really invest, even if it's for a really short time. Why? Because the reality is, in the scope of eternity, your whole life is a really short time. So how are you going to learn what it means to care, what it means to connect, what it means to be involved and connected to a people if you don't root yourself in a place, in a people? That doesn't mean you sit down and say like, well, I guess I'm rooted here. I'm never leaving Muncie. No, like there are legitimate reasons to move away. Most of them are not legitimate. So, you know, I don't know why anyone moves away. But I always got to throw that in. I love Muncie. But the reality is, right, like you are here. Root yourself. Be rooted here. And one of the things that will, that will do is teach you the humility it takes to be uh, required to, to be in authority or to be under authority. Being rooted in a place will teach us the humility it takes to be in authority or under authority. Now, the Lord very, takes very seriously abuse of authority. The land is a big promise, meaning abusing authority you will lose the land, which is exactly what happens, right? When you look at the prophets, 
Who do the prophets blame for losing the land? Like the sinful people or the leaders? The leaders. You abused your authority. You didn't care for those under your care. You've got to go. You're getting kicked out of the land. So abuse authority and you will lose the land. For us, it's good to know that where we are in the world is not a result solely of our individual achievement, but that of God's grace. You don't own the land and you don't own anyone under your authority. They are all gifts to be stewarded and there is one master, the Lord Jesus Christ. If we understand those things, it helps us to understand what it means to be in authority. Also, the Lord takes rebellion for those under authority very serious. The idea that you can rebel against godly authority simply because you don't like the idea of authority, right? Which in our day is very true, right? We simply just don't like the idea of authority at all. So we believe it is our right to rebel against any kind of authority, no matter if it's godly or good for us. How do you suppose it will go for, uh, for you when you reject and malign godly authority that stewards the resources, right? In Israel's case, the land, right? This promise is for children. Honor your father and mother, and you will live a long life in the land. How is it going to go for rebellious children if they don't honor father and mother if they want to inherit the land? They're not going to, right? Like the resources are held in that way by those in authority. In our day, Are rebellious children going to have life go well for them or poorly if they rebel against godly authority? Poorly, right? The law, as much as the law is a guide to show us our sinfulness so that we would repent of our sin and trust in Jesus, it also is there to show us this is how life ought to go well. We are to actually follow these things in order to go well. So, I want to focus on two things as in our remaining time. For those who are in authority and for those who are under authority. So for those who are in authority, you are called to cultivating care. Implicit in this command to honor your father and mother is that this authority is rooted in godliness. That's implicit in the command, right? Because it's very clear throughout scripture that We are not to honor or obey authority that tells us to disobey God, right? The apostles show us this when they are brought before the leaders and they say, stop talking about Jesus. And they're like, no, we're going to obey God, not man. Now, in other places, they're going to actually honor the authorities in which they don't, you know, disagree with God's word and God's law. So authority in the scriptures implies godliness. Meaning that the hard work is on those who are in authority to actually display godliness and character for those under their authority. In particular, I want to speak to parents in particular, because this text talks about father and mother in particular. In particular, parents, and there's lots of you here at City Hope, you might feel like life is insane. Young children are very hard. I feel beaten down. (laughs) It is very wearisome. So I want to tell you in particular, parents, you are called to cultivating care for your kids. It means you are to nurture, care, and cultivate children 
like growing plants in the land. And growing plants can be really frustrating. You're going to get cut up, right? Because growing plants, you get cut up digging weeds. Growth takes a very long time. And if you pick the fruit too early when you're growing plants, it tastes really bitter. Just like parenting. Growth takes a long time for children. You actually are going to face difficulty. It's going to be emotional cuts and bruises in trying to care for children well. That's part of the job that we have as parents. And if we judge our kids too early, the fruit will not look good. We have to wait because they are children and they need to grow. It means that you need to be rooted, present with your kids. Here's the reality. Parents, if you show up for your kids, tell them you love them, and display that with your time, you will cultivate and care for your kids. You will cultivate and care for them if you just show up, be present with them, and tell them that you love them. Authority coming with care, just as God does with us. God shows up in our lives, cares for us, reminds us of, our love, of his love for us, and exercises authority over us. The same is true for us. We need to pray with and for our kids because we steward them. They are gifts, not things that we own. We need to teach them about Jesus and in particular his love for them. And when all said and done, if we can tell them we love them and show up and try to teach them about Jesus, we can then give ourselves some grace and sleep at night. One of my favorite parables that Jesus teaches is that the kingdom of God is like a farmer who plants his seed, he goes to sleep at night, he wakes up and there's fruit, there's, there's crops. He doesn't know how it happens. The reality is that's to teach us that work in the kingdom is not our job, it's God's job. God is gonna do the growth and so you can sleep well at night. The same is true for parenting, which is a kingdom activity. You are raising more worshipers of Jesus more covenant children who are going to grow up to follow Jesus and to, to extend the kingdom. That's hard work that you can't do. So you can sleep well at night. If you've done what God has called you to do, the growth is on him. That's his job, not our job. So that means you can give yourself grace because parenting is super hard. It's by far, I tell people all the time, planting a church was really hard. Parenting is way harder, just way harder. It's the hardest thing I've ever done because it exposes my selfishness and sinfulness like nothing else. Nothing else exposes it like that. And so it's really hard. So you need to give yourself grace. You need to be gentle with yourself and with your children and say you're sorry. Apologize when you screw up, and it will go very well. Now, the final thing that you can do is not do it alone. This here, this command, honor your father and mother, then you will live a, full, a long, full life in the land your Lord, the Lord your God is giving you, was not given to an individual or to an individual family. 
Sometimes when we read the scriptures so often, right, we internalize them as only for us. It is so good that we have, all of us probably have uh, more Bibles at home than there are people in our household, right? That's awesome. We have God's word at, the, at our fingertips all the time. That's really, really good. But one of the disadvantages of that is sometimes we think that God's word was given just for me, just to me. You used to have to gather together, right? Israel, the only way they would hear from God is to gather all together, and then the Lord would speak to all of them together. This is a command for the whole community. So you can't parent on your own. You simply can't do it. You need more adults, <laughs> right? You get outnumbered real quick, and you just need more adults. So families, invite others into your home. Other, uh, those of you who don't have kids, Invite yourself into families' homes. Be a part of that covenant context together. Let's parent these children that we have been steward or gifted as a church together, as a covenant community. Don't do it alone. Also, you need each other so that you can like, have other people watch your kids so you can take a break because it's really hard. Like All of those things are true and all happen within the context of a covenant community. So don't do it alone. Now, Those who are under authority, you are called to honor and obey. Ezra's looking right at me. Good job, Ezra. Paying attention. (laughs) Those who are under authority, you are called to honor and obey. Now, this is not without exceptions. If you are called to violate any other command of God, you don't obey that. God is your master. God is not okay with any form of abuse. So do not tolerate it. A command to honor here is not a command to endure abuse. Speak up because the authority has sinned if you endure abuse and that needs to be remedied. So if you're here this morning and you're an adult who's survived childhood abuse, it was not your fault. You are loved by the Lord it was, not, it was a sin against you, not a sin that you committed. And it was a way in which authority was abused against you. And it's not your fault. You were not called to stay under that. So it's not your fault. You are loved by the Lord. Run to him and heal and seek trauma therapy because it's very important. Now, God acknowledges that this with his command all throughout the scripture to care for orphans and widows. He recognizes already all throughout the the scriptures, there's this command that the way in which it displays that you are doing your job, Israel, is if you care for those who are vulnerable. Deuteronomy 27, nope. Nope, don't have it in there either. It's fine. I'll just read it. Deuteronomy 27, 19. Cursed is anyone who denies justice to foreigners, orphans, or widows. And all the people will reply, amen. Amen. Anyone who denies justice to orphans and widows is to be cursed. You see, God sees that there, are, there is the potential for, in, in any relationship with a power differential, there's a potential for abuse. And so you need to care for those who have been abused in any power differential. Abuse, now, now we need to say, abuse is not just disagreeing with what the authority says, right? Like, certainly we we can't categorize every disagreement that you have with any authority figure as abuse. It's inflicting actual harm upon you, not just disagreeing with authority. You will, if you're under authority, you will disagree with the authority. 
because that's like we, we live in a fallen world and there are disagreements that exist, right? And so it's different than just a disagreement with the authority, but an actual abuse of authority. So we need to recognize and care for those who are orphans and widows, those who have been abused, those who have encountered difficult circumstances in relationships that are meant to care. Now, in particular, I want to speak to children, children who are listening over there and on the, on the live stream. If your parents love you and are following Jesus and seeking to raise you to love the Lord and thrive, you need to obey them and honor them. You need to give them grace because the reality is they will make mistakes and say, I'm sorry. So you need to forgive them. Also, this goes for all of you who have living parents. You are children still. (laughs) And so you need to honor your parents. Certainly, there is a change uh, for uh, what that looks like as you grow older, right? Uh, But there is certainly still a way to honor them. Understand, children, that your parents are trying to help you thrive in the world. You may not see how their instructions do that for you, which is why you're not a parent right now and why God gave you parents. The reality is God has given us things to see uh, greater realities that we can't see, right? Children, your brain is not fully developed. Parents, hopefully your brain is mostly fully developed so that you can see those things, right? And instruct your children well. So children, you need to trust your parents. Don't Rebel against them in order to display who you are to the world. Work with your parents to understand who God has made you to be and thrive in the place that God has called you to be within your family. Now again, this is not just for young children. As we saw earlier in that Mark 7 passage, Jesus makes clear we are to actually care for and honor our parents into their elderly years. The primary function, and you see this throughout the New Testament too, right? There is the distinction between widows who have no family and widows who do have a family. The first step to caring for widows is to say, family, you got to step up and care for them. We are not very good at this as a culture. This pandemic has actually shown a lot of how we don't care for the elderly in our society very well and how we don't care for parents very well. The onus is really on us to care for our parents well as they move into older years. You know, we actually, you know, uh, previous uh, time periods, the the way in which you prepared for your older age was having more children. Now we actually see it the exact opposite. (laughs) The way in which you prepare for your old age is to have less children and save up more money. The reality is that children are the way in which God has designed the elderly to be cared for. And we ought to take that serious and to care for our parents well. Now, here's the problem. We're selfish. The problem with all of these things is that we're selfish. We don't honor father and mother very well. We don't do the hard work of cultivating care because it's just really hard. We don't want to honor and obey because we're selfish. This is where we must remember you can't live by the law. 
You can't live by it. All of these things, all of these ways in which I just described how the law works, if you take everything I just said and say, okay, I'm going to do it, and you seek to live by that, you will fail, and then you will be discouraged. No, we must remember that you're not going to do this perfectly, but Jesus did in your place. Philippians 2, 3 through 8 says this, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. You see, we need to remember, I forgot to move that forward. We need to remember not just that Jesus did this and this is a way for us to emulate No, we need to remember that Jesus did this in your place. Every place in which you have failed as someone in authority, every place in which you have failed as someone under authority, Jesus perfectly obeyed. And he perfectly obeyed so that he could go to a cross and die for your disobedience and endure the wrath of God so that you could be forgiven of your sin and so that you could get credited his perfect obedience as though you had always obeyed. And now that's credited to you who would trust in Jesus by faith. And now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are now freed to walk with God in this way, to love God and to love neighbor. You are freed from your selfishness to cultivate those under your authority, and in particular, children. You are free to honor godly authority and in particular, parents. So whenever you recognize your selfishness, repent and turn to the love of Jesus who loved you and cared for you and was obedient to death on a cross for you. Even in your selfishness. Worship Jesus and then be transformed by the Holy Spirit to be conformed to the person of Jesus and to become the people of God together. This is the way in which we honor our Heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you now recognizing that we're not very good at this. That we're all in process here, but we are so far from where we want to be. And we struggle against that. And so, Lord, we need your help. We need your care. We need your Holy Spirit to transform us so that we would be more and more like Jesus. God, would you do that so that we would be a covenant community here that goes and tells the world how glorious you are, Jesus, and that we would be transformed together. God, would you do this, we pray in Christ's name, amen.